Lord God, there is a time for everything. And as is so often the case, we do not think about the fact that there is a time coming one day for us. Moments like this when members of our church family are going through grief remind us that our time is limited. We are reminded that there will come a day for us that will be our last as well. And God, your word tells us that we are to mourn with those who mourn. And today we mourn with the Almquist family. A young man in the prime of his life. A young family that will never be the same. And yet even in this moment we celebrate, we celebrate a man who chose you, chose to follow you. We celebrate a family that has a legacy of following you. Be near to them, Lord. And for Rich and Shirley, God, may this few days that they have be blessed by you. May Rich feel your presence more and more every moment. God, there is much to be praying for, and we know that you love us, we know that you are with us, and we trust you. God, we pray for Steve and Donna, and we pray for Donna's brother, and we pray especially for Steve with the surgery coming up, that the surgeons would be attentive and alert and be just influenced by you, God, as they do what they've been trained to do. God, you are the great physician, and we put our trust in you. And Lord, would you please give relief to Donna's knee so that she may be able to function and take care of Steve in the coming days and weeks ahead. Lord, we do give you thanks. We give you thanks for Ron and for the successful surgery. We pray for a complete recovery, Lord. And we just trust you. And God, we pray for a complete recovery for our nation. God, this week has the potential for violence in our country. This week has the potential for unrest. But it is my prayer that the transition of governmental political power would happen in an orderly way. We pray, Lord, for your wisdom to be given to Donald Trump and to Joe Biden. We pray, Lord, that they would turn to you, that they would seek your face. May our land be healed. That's only going to happen if we turn to you. I pray that Joe Biden would turn to you. I pray that our representatives and senators would turn to you. I pray that our people would turn to you. We need you, God. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we go back to the book of Luke, as we have been doing so often for months. We've been carefully working our way through the gospel for many, many months. And our passage today is one of the most challenging and debated passages in the entire book. In fact, this passage has sparked so much debate and potential confusion that I'm going to take a little bit different approach than I have taken with some of my messages in the past in Luke. I'm going to start with a personal story and I'm going to end with a personal story. But can I remind you of something? What does the word gospel mean? What was that? Those of you at home, I couldn't hear you. If you think you're exempt from answering my hypothetical questions, you're wrong. You need to say it. The word gospel means good news. I need to remind you of that as we go into what we're talking about today. I will remind you of that a couple more times. Perspective matters. So I want to begin with this personal story that will help us understand, I hope, the difficult passage we're studying today. Now, if you've known me for a while, and many of you have known me for a while, uh, it's, it's a pretty good chance you've heard this story before, so I hope you'll forgive me uh, and, and just nod along and smile like you've heard it for the first time. You know, actually, there's one person in our church who I told this very story to just a few weeks ago. That person had asked me, how do you know God called you to be a pastor? It's a good question. It's a question a pastor better have an answer to, <laughs> I would think. So, well, there, there are many ways that God speaks to us and gives us direction in our lives, and that's true for everybody that calls on the name of Jesus, not just pastors. But my, my calling to ministry included many different confirmations at different times. But there's one moment in particular that was very important to my journey. When I finished my senior year of high school, I was not sure what God wanted me to do. My father owned a construction company, and I only have one sibling, my older sister, and she, long before I became a senior in high school, she was not interested in taking over the family business. I wasn't sure what God wanted me to do at that time, but I was open to the possibilities. Maybe, maybe I was supposed to take over the family business. So, after high school, in fact, the week after graduation, I began work on one of our construction crews. I don't look like a construction worker because I'm not. I'm a terrible construction worker. Our company doesn't build houses. Um, what we actually did was uh, underground utilities. So we didn't build buildings, we dug holes. We put pipe in the ground and then we filled the holes up again. That's what we did. Storm drains, sanitary sewer, and water main. So kids in our church, if you get suckers from my office, 
you get suckers from my office on this. Right here are where the suckers go. So this is a 544J John Deere payloader. Um, I know how to run that. The, the real one. Turns out when you buy a real one, sometimes they give you one of these. So this is on my office because this was my machine. Actually, a 624 was my preferred size, but 544, a little smaller, it still worked good. This was my construction life. So when you come and get suckers in my office, that's why that's there. Well, one of the things that gets installed with water main are fire hydrants. And I remember one day that the crew I was working on was removing an old fire hydrant and we were replacing it with a new fire hydrant. And on that particular day, my dad was there. He wasn't there all the time, but on that day he was there. And, and I hopped out of my loader and I, I walked over to him and, and we, were, we were sitting there and the, the old fire hydrant was getting pulled out of the ground. And my dad just kind of mentioned to me offhand, I put that fire hydrant in 40 years ago. And then, in that moment, it took me just a second to ponder it. But right there, I realized something. We were, we were putting the new fire hydrant in. And in that split second, I realized that somebody 40 years from then was going to replace the hydrant I was putting in. I remember that day so clearly because I realized that I wanted to pursue something eternal, not temporary. I wanted to make an eternal difference, not a temporary difference. Now, don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with putting fire hydrants in the ground. There's nothing wrong with any of that. It just in that moment... That's what God said to me. And of course, you can make an eternal difference doing that because you can affect the people around you and, and all kinds of good things can happen from that. But for me, in that moment, I recognized the fire hydrants I put in, the fire hydrants I put in, I want to last forever. My perspective changed that day in South Dakota. And a new world of significance opened up for me. I'm hoping that you experience a perspective change today as we open up God's Word. Please pray with me. God, we are about to open your Word, and we know that we're not smart enough to figure this out on our own. We need you. It's your Word. You inspired it, and now we ask you to not only inspire the Word, but inspire our reading of the Word. Holy Spirit, we need you for this. Amen. Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn right now to Luke chapter 12. Starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden 
that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after, killing, after the killing of the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But, but he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. <clears throat> this was a busy week for me. And this is the passage that I was planning to preach on. And I did ask God, did we have to do a difficult one on a busy week? I have asked God that question this week. And you know what God said? He said nothing, which I interpreted as stop whining and get to work. So Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many households had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. So this passage opens with a critique of the Pharisees. Now, you may remember that two weeks ago, uh, when we were in chapter 11 of Luke, Jesus gave a very stark rebuke of the Pharisees, pronouncing six woes upon them. And this verse, which starts chapter 12, is a direct connection to what we had just finished in chapter 11. Now, yeast, if you probably know this, is a very, very small part of bread dough, but if you probably also know this, that very, very small thing makes a very, very big difference when it comes to bread. The yeast makes things huge. Now, in the same way, Jesus compares the teachings of the Pharisees with yeast. Moreover, this yeast of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is saying one thing but doing something else. The Pharisees were teaching people a certain way to follow God, and it was actually an impossible way, a way of endless, minute details, rules, and laws. And, and they themselves, they weren't even able to follow them all, but they said everybody needed to follow them all, or you're toast. And then, worse than that, and this is what Jesus pointed out in our, in our lesson from two weeks ago, the, the Pharisees were not sincere in what they were doing. They were not sincere in their love of God and each other. In fact, what they were really more concerned about than love was their own man-made rules. They were more concerned, and this is the way Jesus said it, they were more concerned about their outside appearance than their inside actuality. Remember the cup with the sour milk in it? 
It doesn't matter how clean the outside of the cup is. If the inside of the cup has sour milk, you're not going to use that cup. I mean, Jesus literally said the outside of the cup is, is okay, but the inside is dirty. That makes a cup worthless, no matter how clean the outside of the cup is. That's hypocrisy. Jesus is calling it out. He's saying they are being hypocritical. Jesus calls them out. So keep that in mind as we continue through this passage. Now look at verses 2 and 3. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. See, this connects with the Pharisees. No matter how much the Pharisees tried to hide their inner actuality by polishing the outside appearance, God knows. This is one of those times when we come face to face with an attribute of the Almighty. God knows it all. There's no hiding your inner death by polishing your outside. There's, there's no... Tr- you can, now, you can trick people. You can trick people by having your outside look like it's all together. But if your inside is not right, God knows. Those things in our lives that we believe are hidden are not hidden from God. Imagine, and this is, this is where it gets a little tricky, right? I want you to think about this, and usually we don't think about this from this perspective. But imagine God's perspective on hypocrisy. <laughs> How painful is it for God to look at people who are trying to keep their outside looking good while their inside is destruction and death? And God can see both the inside and the outside. Imagine if this was your child. Imagine if you could see both the outside and the inside of your child. Imagine how much that would hurt when there's hypocrisy present. What I so desire for my children, and and parents, you desire this of yours too. Whatever you're facing, just be truthful with us. We will work through whatever it is. Just don't be hypocritical. Don't act to us like you've got it all together, but inside you don't. Please don't do that. Children, youth, parents, can you feel your heart beating even now as I talk this way about your children? Imagine God who knows the outside and the inside. Imagine the pain of that. Jesus then turns this realization of God's all-knowingness. He turns this realization that God knows the inside and the out completely into what he says next. And what he says next is a warning based upon God's all-knowing. 
verses 4 and 5. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him after the killing of the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. What does the word gospel mean? <laughs> Woo! Does that look like good news to you? How can this be good news? How many preachers, how many hellfire and brimstone preachers have blasted people with this passage? And I'm not trying to say they're all wrong, don't mishear me. I'm just have you experienced a sermon when someone hits you in the face with that? Have you experienced that? I have. And maybe sometimes you need to be slapped in the face by this. But how is this good news? How is this good news? Hmm. Who are those who can kill the body, but after that can do no more? Well, people. Regular human beings, uh, even the, the super important and powerful people fit in this category. So like, like spiritual leaders and political leaders, the most they can do to you, the most that any human being can do to you is kill your body. Now that's pretty bad, right? But... There is something more. Because we're not supposed to fear people that all they can do is kill our body. Right, Gene? We're not supposed to get so caught up in the everyday stuff of this world that we are paralyzed by fear. We are not to fear the folks who can only kill us. Who are we to fear? You know, there is such a thing as healthy fear. It is healthy and good to fear the one who can eternally condemn your soul. That is a healthy fear. <laughs> you see, there's a being who has much greater power than mere human, spiritual, and political leaders. And his name is God. The creator of everything. Who is all-knowing... He knows if the outside of your cup is all dandy, but the inside is a mess, is a terrible, sinful, horrible place. Jesus himself could see it with the Pharisees, and he called them out. And then he warns all of us, do you remember that God knows your insides? Because that matters. There are some today, even in the church, who say, well, God would never actually do this. That, that God, it's more merciful for God to just annihilate people completely than to have them suffer eternity in hell. Well, what do you do about Revelation chapter 20? Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 through 15. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's pretty bad. 
And the next paragraph is worse. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then Revelation 22:15. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. They're on the outside in the lake of burning fire where they will suffer forever and ever. The reality that Jesus teaches us is that God can and will cast some into hell. And that there is an existence of the unrighteous outside of the presence of God for eternity. Good news. Right? Huh. Jesus wants you to know it is healthy to fear God. So, this is where I could stop the sermon and I could just go on and on about this. You've, you've been to those sermons. But instead of doing that, could we keep in context of what Jesus is saying? Could we do that? So, I'm not just going to pull out those two verses. I want you to see the next verses. This is important. Look at verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Okay, you ready for this? God loves you. He knows everything about you. And he still loves you. He knows the sparrows. And he, you are way more valuable than the sparrows. And God, he loves you. But... How can this possibly fit together? If you've got your Bible open, I want you to, to, to look at verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. And I want you to notice something in your Bible. It doesn't come through quite as good on the screen. Verses 4, 5, 6, and 7 are the same paragraph. Now, here's why that matters. A paragraph is a bundle of words that creates one idea. Now, I... I want you to get this. This is one idea, okay? Look at verse 5. Now, if you've got a highlighter or a pen, this is the place to highlight your Bible, okay? So here you go. I'm going to tell you to highlight one specific thing in here. Verse 5 says, But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him after the killing of the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. I want you to highlight fear him. 
It's in there twice. Fear Him. Got that highlighted? Now, same paragraph. Same paragraph. Look at verse 7. Indeed, the very hairs in your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. Highlight, don't be afraid. And now, think this through. In the same paragraph, Jesus says, Fear God and don't be afraid of God. I I need you to grasp the power of what I've just said right there. Fear God and don't be afraid of Him. You see, we think fear is being scared. We think fear is being afraid. Jesus Himself in this place in the Gospel of Luke is saying, fearing God is not being afraid of God. They are not the same. You can and should fear God, but you should not be afraid of Him. There's power in this. Because this is good news. <laughs> How can this be? What does this mean? God loves you. But He is God. But He loves you. <laughs> Those things go together. And now moving to verses 8 and 9. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. Okay, we are to acknowledge Jesus. And by the way, in context, we're, what Jesus is saying is, you need to acknowledge me. Think about it now. Even if you're around people that have the power to kill you. Do you see that? You are to acknowledge me in all situations, up to and even including if your life's in danger about it. <laughs> that, because we're not supposed to fear those who can kill us, just our body. It's much more important to fear though him who can cast us into hell. This is actually quite logical, is it not? The thing we're having trouble with is, how can we fear God and not be afraid of Him at the same time? Well, it's because He loves you. It's because He loves you. And then in verse 10, we have a very strange and difficult verse. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Okay. This is a challenging verse of Scripture. Yes, a difficult one. And you might be thinking, wait a second, just hold on now. I know somewhere in my life I was taught that all sins are forgivable. Did you remember that in Sunday school? Did somebody say, no matter what you do, God will forgive you? There is no sin that is so terrible that God won't forgive you. Well, Almost. Now, I want to be real careful here because this can be very misunderstood. I'm going to give a try at helping you understand what's going on here. 
This phrase of Jesus is also paralleled in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. You can look it up, Matthew 12, 31, Mark 3, 28 through 29. And in both of those Gospels, Jesus is being accused of doing miracles in the power of Satan. So this should be familiar to you because just a chapter before in Luke, Luke 11, that's where that story is. Jesus is accused by the Pharisees of doing miracles in the power of Beelzebub. Remember that? So in Matthew and Mark, this statement about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is tied to the statement of people claiming that he was working by the power of the devil. So this does make sense now because if the only way, well, how how do I want to put this? In Matthew and Mark, the context suggests that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is attributing the work of God to Satan. Okay? So I I just want to give you a warning here from Matthew and Mark. If, If the power of God is evident and you say, no, that's the power of Satan, that's not good to do. Okay? This is like you're like on the whole verging on unforgivable sin thing. You don't accuse the power of God to be the power of Satan. Very bad. Now, we're not in Matthew and Mark, so you can go there and read that if you want. We are in Luke. So I just want to have that that idea in mind. Now, Luke says the same thing, but in a different way. So think about Luke. It, It does make sense, okay? If the only way to the Father is through the Son, which, by the way, this is what we believe as Christians. Can I just say that again? The only way to get right with the Father, with God, the Father, is through Jesus the Son, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Three in one, Trinity. We believe this to be true. Foundational belief of Christianity. The only way to get right with the Father is through the Son. If you actually believe that, then what does it mean if you attribute the work of the Son by the Holy Spirit to Satan? What does that mean? It means you're not going to get to the Father. Because you said that the only way to the Father is a satanic thing. You're not going to get there. Now, I want to keep going in Luke, though, because the question in Luke also is related to this. Why is this sin unforgivable? I can see, you know, surely you're right there. Your son, surely the Sunday school teacher is like, now where's Pastor Jason going with this? Because I'm really curious, right? Sunday school teachers the world around want to know the answer to this question. Because they've been teaching for years, there are no sins that are not forgivable. Well, let's think about it. Why would a sin such as this, attributing the works of God to Satan, why is that unforgivable? Is it because God won't forgive? And here's where I want to be clear. God will forgive you of any sin that you ask for. But you have to receive it. Every person who has ever lived is offered the gift of salvation. So let me... me Think about what it means to give a gift. We always think about giving a gift, okay? So if I give you a gift, right? Is that gift yours? Only if you accept the gift. 
If you choose not to accept the gift, it's not yours. You didn't receive it. Ownership didn't transfer. Do you see that? So, every person who's ever lived has been offered this gift of salvation. This is good news. But only those who choose to receive the gift actually get the gift. You see, receiving the gift of salvation means that you recognize and acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he was. God become man. Receiving the gift of salvation means you give up your rights. In fact, it means you actually die to yourself. We no longer live for ourselves. We now live for God. Receiving the gift of salvation means that we are no longer citizens of this world. And so political turmoil isn't even our kingdom. We are citizens of God's kingdom. We are not to fear those things. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is unforgivable because we've chosen not to accept the forgiveness that is offered. Did you catch that? It's unforgivable because you've chosen not to accept the gift. That's what makes it unforgivable. But when we do accept His forgiveness, we receive the gift of salvation, as well as the power of the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our lives. This helps us understand the final verse, verses 11 through 12. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. You see, we no longer need to worry about what's happening around us. And by worry, I mean fear. Does this have meaning for us in 2021? Think about this. We are not to fear the fact that one president is elected and another is not elected. We are not to fear the fact that there's a pandemic. We are not to fear the fact that everything seems to be going crazy. If everything goes crazy, if our country completely falls apart, I don't want that. I'm praying against that. But you know what? I'm going to be just fine. Even if I'm killed. Why are you so worried about things we're not supposed to worry about? Think about this. If I hear another Christian tell me one more time that their rights are being violated, I'm going to flip out. Do you know what you have a right to do? You have a right to die. These rights that you're holding up as some great ideal, that might not be from God. We have a right to die for Christ. In fact, as Christians, we have already died to all of these concerns that we hold so highly. And when we're brought before rulers, the Holy Spirit will give us what to say. Because we're right. Do you see? Our inside and our outside match. It's together. We're not hypocritical. We are simply citizens of God's kingdom. And so now, through that rather challenging teaching, I have one more personal story. Very short. Some of you have had to go through the agonizing process of teaching your teenagers how to drive a car. It's painful. It is frightening. 
Yes, we are supposed to fear the Lord, and I have some fear about death when driving with my teenager. Just less fear now than before. But can I suggest something to you? Because I also, just like you, had to learn how to drive at some point. And do you remember when you first learned how to drive? I sympathize with you. Do you remember when you first learned how to drive? I was scared that I was going to die, okay? I was scared that I was, might take someone with me because I didn't know what was happening. And I, I, was, I remember sitting there, and I was trying to figure this out, and I think it was, again, my dad, both stories about my dad today, we're, we're sitting, he's sitting next to me, and I was, I was fearful. And I was, like going, I was like making all these corrections. Do you know how you do that when, you're, when you first learn how to drive? You overcorrect all the time, and so you go down the road like this. You remember that? You know, and it's like, it's really herky-jerky, and it's scary, right? And I remember I, my dad said to me something. He said, don't look at what's right in front of you. Keep your eyes on the horizon. Look far out ahead of you. And when I did that, all of a sudden, I went like that. Perspective matters. These words of Jesus, if I could encourage you today, keep your eyes on the horizon. Look past the immediate turmoil of the moment that's right in front of us. Because when that's what you look at, it's scary. But when you keep your eyes far on the horizon and you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, and upon all of that we've said here, that we're not supposed to be fearful of these things. We're fearful of what God can do. But even more than that, in the same paragraph, we're not afraid of God because He loves us so much. When we keep our eyes on Him, we go straight that way. If I can encourage you today, when we've talked about this through the pandemic, keep your eyes on Jesus. And I've been struggling to find that right analogy that really grabs this. This is it. Driver's ed analogy. Don't look just in front of you. Look at eternity. And all of this stuff melts away in significance. All of this turmoil. Fear the one who has eternal power, not the ones that have temporary power. They mean nothing. Keep your eyes on the horizon. As we've come to the end of this message, as we prepare for our annual meeting next week, I've chosen a picture for the front of the report that I hope you will not ignore. It's a picture of a young man steering a ship through a storm. And behind the young man, Jesus stands with his hand on his shoulder, pointing the way. This is what we have, church. We don't need to fear. And we don't need to be afraid. We have God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. 
It is my prayer that if there are those who have heard this message, that have never considered the idea that Jesus has offered a gift, but maybe they've not received the gift, then might this be a moment of salvation. Your word in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Believe and confess brings salvation. Oh God, if there was ever a moment when we as your people need to look beyond the immediate to the horizon, this is it. Lord Jesus, we invite you to point the way. In Jesus' name.